podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to Who's Place Audio. This is Season 3, Episode 15 of the WhoCast. I'm your host, Val Prohaska. Our producer is, of course, Seattle Who. And in honor of our upcoming game against the Orangemen later this episode, we're going to be joined by Noon's Magician's very own Kevin Wall. But we're going to start off looking at uh, our very satisfying and frustrating victory over Georgia Tech. Welcome, Seattle. How are you? I'm good. I'm way better than I was about 30 minutes into that game on Saturday. That <laughs> was... I, You know, my Twitter kind of let out my feelings that I thought, to be honest, at that point in the game, I thought we were going to get boat raced. Because the game was looking disturbingly like the Georgia Tech's game with Clemson on Wednesday night, where, you know, for for a large portion of that game, Clemson was trading baskets with them and scoring on right along with them, but then they just couldn't keep up. They hit a dry yeah. spell, they couldn't keep up, and then they kind of fell apart. And I was like, we can't keep up with these guys. And then, you know, all of a sudden, things just changed. And, you know, when I went back and I was, I was looking at the – the box score and the play-by-play and stuff to write the recap, I noticed that um, Jordan Usher, he didn't score in the last 15 minutes of the game. He scored, what, 19 points? And he got it all. 17 in the first half. Yeah, in the yeah first he half. got all of it in 25 minutes. He scored 19 points in 25 minutes. And then in the last 15 minutes and 26 seconds of the game, didn't score at all. Yeah. Interesting. And Alvarado didn't score until the last in the last ten minutes. The last ten minutes. That's correct. He, he, he had twenty minutes, so he had twenty points in thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. So you know, we did shut him down. Um, you know, I think we were able to get the pace that we wanted. Um, we eventually, were, yes, eventually. Yeah, it, took, it took us a while, and that was one of the things that we had talked about. You know, in Wahoo Wake Up was you know, what was going to be, you know, the Georgia Tech is uh, an aggressive ball hawking sort of team. Who's going to get, who's going to have points in transition? And, you know, Georgia Tech did a really good job with that. Yeah, um, at least five, six times, I think, you know, we were going up for shots and they were just stripping the ball out, you know, as we were going up and then they were off to the races. So if they weren't necessarily fast break points, they were very successful in transition in the first half. And, yeah, they were. You know that, and they were able you know, to get they, Usher and and Wright going towards a basket in an unsettled situation. And Usher was just phenomenal. I, you know, I I didn't focus on him. I it was Alvarado and Wright and Devoe. Um, Devoe, we shut him down. Alvarado, Jose Alvarado is a very interesting case. He he really shows the kind of the development, the, the the progress a player can make from his freshman year to his senior year if he sticks with it and and stays, you know, and because he was hopeless as a freshman, horrible, and you know we just ate him alive as a freshman. And mm-hmm. boy, he's a totally different player now. And 
you know, definitely one of the best point guards in the conference. He, you know, had a, he's now, you know, he was four for five from the three-point yesterday, had eight assists, six steals. You know, he's, he's the reason why the kind of player, that, why I watch college basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is watching these guys grow is, to me, the fun of college sports. And, yeah, sometimes it's fun when you watch, you know, Michael Jordan grow over three years <laughs> or, you know, Lenny Bias over four. And, you know, Alvarado's not in that character. But as you're right, you know, he started as a freshman and he's gotten better. You yeah, know, he's, so he's just better. played harder and harder. And it's so, I mean, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, I mean, he's he's in the pantheon, you know, mm-hmm. of, 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 thrilling, of thrilling guys. And, you know, and he's pulled that, you know, took that step back three against Clark. You know, yeah, I mean, Clark guarded him about as well as you could, and then he just drained it. And Clark's just Clark's gasping for air, mm-hmm. and he's draining a step back three, and I, it's just like a nine point lead at that point. Yeah. And then, um, very famously, he uh, <laughs> he went to half court and played air guitar, and uh, you know, internet his uh, Twitter has captured that, and you know, he mm-hmm. hasn't he didn't score after that. <laughs> so you know, as always, you know. <laughs> You don't go to half court of an away and celebrate, you know, too early. <laughs> right. Um, we've we've had our share of that, him. man. London Parentis, we mm-hmm. several occasions celebrated too early. Yeah. 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 Alvarado was was just amazing, and Usher was amazing, and I I really like watching Moses Wright play. He's he just he punishes the rim, and you know he had five block shots. And there was a stretch there. Yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah. We just couldn't. And 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 they were, you know, they were they were all help side sort of blocks. I mean, right. they were. It was like watching Mamadi Diakite, and and mm-hmm. we thrilled to watch Mamadi Diakite. But I mean, he, he had Beekman, I think, twice. Got Clark once. Yeah. I mean, we, our our guys and Usher too. Around. Usher had three blocks the same way. Yeah. Those two, mm-hmm. they'd come out of nowhere. Yeah, you think, oh, we got a clear lane in the basket, and all of a sudden, you know. One of those two guys appeared and just swallowed it up, and you know the, yeah, their defense was, hadn't been as good this year. Other than when they weren't generating turnovers, they've been giving up high shooting, and they did yesterday. I mean, we shot forty-eight percent overall and forty-four percent from three. Uh, so again, when we didn't turn it over, and you know we had nine turnovers on the game, and eight of them were in that first, you know, thirty minutes. We had six in the sure. first half and two early in the second half, and then do we just stop turning it over? Right. You know that's the that's the crunch time that we're talking about, and that's I think part of it's just the calm that you know, Bennett must be really good at this, you know, in these late these late timeouts, um, you know, late in the game. You know, I've, I've heard people complain about his lack of coaching or. You know, but it's just our guys don't freeze up at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can lose games just like anybody, but yeah, he's a he's a master at, at, at advantage. Yeah, he's a master at managing the the psychology of his players, and keeping yeah. their heads right. He's he he's one of the best that I've ever seen at that, and building a culture and having guys who who think about it the right way. He, he he's just so good. And the other thing, I he's one of the best that I've seen at making halftime adjustments and, and making tactical adjustments to things that the other team is doing that works, especially with his defense. 
it's very rare that that it's, an opponent will come in and hurt us the same way for an entire game. Right. At some point, they're going to have they're not going to be able to do that and they're going to have to be able to go to something else. And a team that can go to something else two or three times in a game is a team that's going to be it's like Gonzaga. They had an answer to everything. Sure. In Georgia Tech yesterday, they ran out of answers. And there's, you know, tactical Tony's late game time management and this and that may not be, you know, all right, he's not Dean Smith. But he's certainly not a you know Roy Williams. He's he's good at it. He's very good at it. Um, yeah. And we did, you know, we did very well yesterday. I mean, I agree with you. We were talking offline. You know, Devoe got a a much better, scarier shot off than he should have been able to. But they're really good. <laughs> yeah. So, so um. Who was the, the player that, that you were most impressed with yesterday? Well, the player that, I, that really, I would say, pleased me the most and that I, I really wanted to talk about is Casey Morcel. Because I, I tweeted out, I think late last night, that I thought Casey Morcel made the difference. And I know, you know, Hauser had 22 and Huff had 18 and, you know, Kie hit the big shot and... Um, I think, let's see, Morcel, he had nine points. So that's, you know, that's good, nine points in 27 minutes. But I thought he made the difference because during that stretch of the game where we went from getting boat raced to grabbing control of the game, he was in there, and he was in the thick of all of it. He hit a couple of extremely big shots. He... Um, I think did he get no he didn't get any steals but he had he had a couple of big rebounds that were very important well, at the I time. think he had the and the play of the game I thought at the time was you know when minute and a half left you know the ball comes down and Alvarado dishes it off to right and it's Wright's about to you know punish the rim regardless oh, of yes. in front of him and and Casey stripped the ball you know, and and that was, was the play. That's one of the plays. Yeah, that's, that's why I wanted to talk about Casey because that play right there showed his development of a player and showed how far he's come. Because that's a play where a rotation needed to be made, and he was on time with the you know diving down to get the big man when our big man had to turn him loose. And earlier in the season, even he probably doesn't get there. But this time today, you know, that day he recognized and he made the move in time and he got there and was able to make that play. That that player right there really, to me, showed his growth. He is like, like, like Doug Smith said on Twitter, he's turned the corner mentally. Casey Morcel has turned the corner mentally. And we've seen it in the last four games. And I thought he was fantastic yesterday. I, you know, earlier I was trying to get to this, the coincidence with that occurred with Jordan Usher scoring coming to an abrupt end. You know, Usher scored his last basket at the fifteen twenty six mark of the second half. 
KC Morcel checked into the game at the 15:36 mark of the second half, and he never left the floor again. He played the last 15 and a half minutes. And, um, you know, I haven't gotten to break the video down yet, but it's my recollection. I think he was the guy primarily on Jordan Usher at the end. And this might be, you know, his best performance to date of, one, shutting down a guy with his on-ball defense, which he's done before, but also at the same time being right on top of his off-ball responsibilities in the pack line where he was able to successfully do both. And then on offense, I thought his decision-making was very good also. And as you know, and our listeners, you've been listening for a long time now, I've been highly critical of his decision-making in the past. And so to see, and this is a trend now, this is like four games in a row where I thought he's played very strong and where he's really, I think the, you know, the defensive tact or the offensive tactical switch to the the three man inside motion has been wonderful for Casey because it simplified things for him and allowed him to simplify and and, and so now his decision he's really getting into the flow and um, that's just such a big difference for us and I thought he made the difference yesterday. Yeah, uh, I mean it certainly was. I mean that was my favorite play of the game. Um, you know the, the the player who I guess. I mean, Hauser obviously had the best game, but I, I liked Huff's game. Um, I was truly worried about his ability to stay on the court, um, you know, trying to guard Wright, who's been beating up on people lately, mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, abused Amir Sims uh, against Clemson. I was afraid he was going to put Huff in foul trouble. And Huff had one foul. <laughs> which meant he was on the court the last three, four minutes, and he had two blocks in the last three minutes. Uh, you know, he recorded five on the game. But those two, both of those were huge. And just like just like Wright's, both of his blocks the last couple of minutes were blocks down. We recovered. We got the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a block is, you know, awesome, but it's even better if it, you know, basically causes a turnover. Right. And, and we get the ball. And, well, you know, we're not going to go off to the races. It stops theirs, you know, stops their offensive possession. We've got the ball. And so both of his two were just, he brought it, <laughs> ball came straight down. So, you know, being able to stay on the court when you're playing Moses right, I think is a huge accomplishment. And he'd made progress, you know, throughout, you know, last year. And so it was sort of worrying to see him regressing <laughs> the last three or four games. So that, I think, was, was, was my big takeaway. And, of course, he scored 18 points, uh, two for three from three. He, kept, there was, he I, kept us alive. For that, in that first yeah, 30 did. minutes, Jay Huff was our life support machine. If there wasn't for him, they would have blown us out of the gym. Well, you know, plus, you know, he hit the three just as time was expiring in the first half. Right. And if there's one feature that... <laughs> I don't think a Bennett, this Bennett team has ever had is we don't seem to score well at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's bugged me forever. Mm-hmm. You know, but no, I agree. We were down, we, we, we'd been down all of a sudden he hits that three. We're bouncing into the locker room. We're only down four. Right. As we well as tech had played you know, as crazily as they had shot the ball. And we had been down nine just a minute before, you know, because yeah. Huff or Hauser hit a jumper, and then 
to cut it to seven, but it's like still going. There's just a difference between going in four versus going in seven. Yeah. And it just to cut their lead virtually basically in half right there. I thought it was a huge difference to me. That you know we we want I want to talk about key moment. You know the one key moment in the game. You know what what you think the one key moment is. And for me, I I have a very hard time deciding between that end of the half shot because I thought it had a huge impact and the the mid-range shot that Jay hit coming off the out-of-bounds play when there was only three seconds left on the shot clock. I thought that was the other key moment. Um, well, because we'd, we'd run a three, we, and we'd run the shot just a second before and not gotten the ball in successfully. Right. And so this was obviously plan B. I mean, we wanted it to go to Hauser, and Hauser right. had run two screens beautifully off of inbound plays already. They're waiting for it. Puff becomes our plan B. And yeah, he hits it. I mean, that was beautiful. And that was a huge really nice. shot. So I thought that you know those are my two key moments. Yeah. And um, easily, I think you talked about the shot at the end of the half, and then Casey's re, uh, strip of Moses right, which are also two very okay. good choices. And then of course you know you got Kihei hitting the game winner. Mm-hmm. So you know he. <laughs> You know, he remember he had he had just blown you know two possessions before the possession you know two possessions earlier, you know he'd blown by you know Alvarado, who had four fouls. Alvarado had to let him go to the basket and then yeah, sort of he got a little little chest bump as Kihei was trying to go up, but they could have they could have fouled Alvarado out on that play if they'd wanted to. Yeah, well they could have, but you know it's. Clark's quick. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he recognized the mismatch, and that's what he went for, and he should have scored, and he didn't. And then, of course, you know, George Tech comes down, DeVoe hits the three, which I think was his only three of the day. It was his only points and of the it, game. Only points, yeah. So, you know, that was a huge five-point swing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you know that Clark felt that swing as well. You know, I should have made that. Somebody should have stopped DeVoe. All of a sudden, we went from, you know, it was tight. And mm-hmm. then the ball's in Kihei's hands. And he, you know, he had Hauser out there. He had Huff. I could see him look off Hauser. He saw that Hauser was out there. <laughs> and he was decided he was going to take that shot himself. Right. And, you know, you want the, this is his team. I mean, we're all excited to have Reese Beekman. And it's, it's funny. I'm, I've got one Twitter group. I've got one Facebook group. And, they're so anti-Clark, it's not even funny, <laughs> you know. But, you know, this is Kihei Clark's team. It was Kihei Clark's team last year. It's going to be his team this year. It's going to be his team next year. <laughs> and he decided that he was going to be the one to take that shot. And he made it, and I have – he's got the stones for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, his... I, I, don't, I don't have any qualm with him taking the last-minute shot. No, and neither do his teammates, his coach, and and both of his teammates that that gave the the post game interviews. They trust him implicitly and explicitly. That Jay's like, there's nobody he trusts more in that situation. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it, and you look at Kihei. Yeah, he didn't have a shot. He was one for ten. You know, he had gone zero for nine leading up to that. Um, yeah. And he, yeah, he had three to- turnovers, but you know what? He had three turnovers at halftime. 
So that means in the second half, he didn't commit a single turnover. And in the second half, he had six assists. He finished the game with eight assists. So Kihei played the entire second half, had six assists, no turnovers, and he played some excellent defense. Mm-hmm. You know, even when, even when Georgia Tech was scoring all those points, it, it wasn't because our defense was bad. They were hitting contested shots. They were know? hitting they, contested they shots. They were good. It, yeah, and they were good. You know, we found another level, another gear. That this game, this game to me was the one where this team learned how to win in the ACC. We've been skating against past teams, playing really well, but this was the one where they really had to dig down and find another level find another gear, especially defensively, because they they had to get stops. They had not been getting stops, and they found it. And this is the one that I'm going to look at at the end of the season and say that's where they learned how to, that, how to win tough games in the ACC. Yep. And Kihei was all up in the middle of that. His, his defense... Reese Beekman, you know, Beekman, he was on DeVoe most of the time. And he was all over DeVoe. And every time DeVoe came off of a screen, Beekman was there. And he His defense was very good. Um, again, Morcel's defense was very good. Hauser was not good early, but midway through the second half, he... You know, he really turned his whole his whole game up, and his defense became very good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's season's progressing. You know, our our guys are are getting better at the defense. Murphy struggled a little bit on defense, but you know, we were all struggling in the first mm-hmm. half, and Murphy was largely absent in the second. <laughs> you know, so you know Bennett Road, you know Bennett Road uh, Marcel, which so, he was you know, able to do because Casey's. Able. You know, Casey's offense has progressed so much. You know, last year, Casey, you'd have to, you know, you'd need to bring him in to ride his defense and all. But on the on the offensive end, he would kind of give back everything he was getting for you on the defensive end. And But yesterday, he was, a, you know, a potent, positive contributor. He hit a couple of key shots. That three-pointer that he hit and then the two-pointer that he hit were crucial at those moments yeah. in the game. You know, so Tony didn't really give up anything by going to Casey over Murphy because you know Murphy was struggling getting to the rim too. And early we were a little cold in our shooting. You know, and that's that's why you have a lineup. That's why it's a team game. You find out the player you can ride a little bit, and you know, it's not it's not our best three players against their best three players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's our best seven or eight players against their best. And so, you know, having, being able to bring more sell off is exactly what we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we were hoping for last year. So it just took case a little bit longer. It yeah. Was, and, you know, uh, I've said it before last year was absolutely probably the worst set of circumstances for Casey Morsell to start his collegiate career. Anyway, he's not, he, he he's not the kind of player who needed to come in as a freshman and be asked to be the man. That was just not a role that he was suited for as a new freshman. He right. he was a guy who needed to be able to 
being one who comes in off the bench and is just asked to do like one thing. All right, Casey, go in there and shut this guy down and, and just don't turn the ball over. You know, give it to Kyle. Just get yep. you know, just pass it to Kyle. But he was you know, he, he had to take on such a big role and he wasn't ready for it. And this year, you yeah. know, his we don't need we don't need him to to be that. He's just you know, we just need him to be a good, solid contributor and, and he's ready for that. And you know, I was so high on him coming in and I, you know, I expect great things from him and I never I, I started to wonder if you know, if he was gonna figure it out enough to be, you know, like some guys maybe they don't ever figure it out, but I felt pretty well, good about a, him coming in. I was season. afraid that his, I was afraid he's going to get it in his own head, and he was mm-hmm. just going to get depressed. And he is the I mean, kind. Of, I think he's the kind of kid who who can get caught in his own head and and not get out of it. And and I think Bennett, you know, his staff. I think this is the perfect place for a player like that because, like I said, Bennett is the best that I've seen at at keeping his players' heads right. So if there's a coach that's going to create the environment and the support and everything for a player to get out of his head it is tony bennett yep and i think he's done a great job of that and casey did a great job and um and we're starting to see that that top 50 national recruit the kid who was you know definitely one of the best in the country and a guy who can can win games for a team he just needed to grow into it it's good to see it's it's you know i've been very very harsh on him and uh, so i'm really happy to be able to to say you know that he's sure. becoming a key player and he makes us so much better yep. we're now joined by noon's magician's very own kevin wall to uh, discuss our upcoming game on monday against the syracuse orangemen welcome kevin thank you for being here well thanks for having me guys how are you today we are doing great, and I guess you're pretty doing pretty good too, since uh, we're both coming off big wins. Yeah, a lot better well, than last weekend at this time when Syracuse had collapsed against Pitt. Yeah, and not only that, for you know, for a day, you know, we here at Virginia are your biggest fans. So I mean, <laughs> anybody who takes the the Hokies down is okay with us, you know. So uh, big fans of you for today, for Saturday and Sunday, and you know, not so much on Monday, but. Uh, Thanks for the, thanks for taking our in-state rivals down a notch. Yeah, we're glad to help out. That was uh, Syracuse's first win over a ranked opponent in a year, so it was one they wow. desperately needed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, the last team they beat ranked was us. Oh, really? So, <laughs> you know, yeah. That was last year, the second second matchup against us. So, hopefully, you've got your win over a Virginia team out of the way now. For as far as we're concerned, but before we start, Kevin, now that I've got you online, I need to know what's so special. I presume about Troy Nunes, right? I mean, that's who Nunes Musicians is named for. Your quarterback yes. from what two decades ago? Uh, about that, yes. Yeah. So the original, the site founder Sean Keeley uh, named it after Troy Nunes, former Syracuse quarterback, who during a game at Auburn had a really outstanding game 
And uh, after a touchdown pass, uh, the color commentator yelled out, Troy Nunes is an absolute magician. And so that stuck with Sean um, and way before SEO and other things <laughs> that you think about going online, thought it would be a great blog name. And it's kind of stuck. And, you know, uh, sometimes we just shorten it to Nunes Magician because 20 years later, uh, non-Syracuse fans don't really remember Troy as much. And it gets to be a lengthy name. Okay. Did you guys at least win the, the Auburn game? No. But it was close <laughs> and it was So you guys had high hopes coming yeah. into the season, didn't you? For basketball, I think with, you know, returning a lot of peop- uh, players, uh, fans were really excited about this Syracuse team. Um, you know, the season ended last year abruptly, but it ended with Syracuse blowing out North Carolina in the ACC tournament. And so even though we were probably headed to the NIT, a lot of fans thought, oh, this was just the beginning of another Syracuse March run and turning a disappointing regular season into a strong finish. And so I think a lot of people brought that sort of um, momentum carried forward into this season. Okay. Well, you were bringing, you know, lots of players back, you know, so you've got to – you know, veteran cast, um, right. you know, so this year. Four so. starters came back. Yeah, four starters came back. Syracuse lost Elijah Hughes. He was the only starter, but obviously he was a guy that did a lot for Syracuse last year. And I think a lot of fans just assumed that natural progression plus the addition of Alan Griffin transferred from Illinois, that that would sort of offset the loss of Hughes. But what hurt Syracuse is in the opener, uh, the center, Barama Sidibe, went down with an injury in the first mm. half, and he looks to be done for the year. And that's forced Marek Dolajai to move to the five. Mm-hmm. And he's a really smart player, but he's 6'9", and I think 2'10", 215. You know, so he's really struggled in the interior of the zone against um, stronger, bigger front courts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's still a string bean. He is, you know, and it's just one of those things. He's one of those players that that's that's his build and his size. And he's able to do a lot of things on offense by pulling opposing centers out. Um, He's Syracuse's best passer. The offense runs through him at the foul line, top of the key a lot. But teams that have been able to get the ball inside against the zone um, have made it really tough for him. I mean, he just... North Carolina and Pitt especially just really dominated Syracuse down low. And, mm-hmm. and that's the fear moving forward the rest of the way is, you know, how can Syracuse combat teams that are going to attack inside? Well, you know, I have loved Dolajai since the minute he walked on. I mean, he, I, I know that if he were at Virginia, he'd be one of my favorite ball players. I mean, he's just just a high-energy guy, and he's just he's just fun to watch. Um, you know, he, you know, he is, really, yeah. Yeah, even yeah. when he was like, even when he wasn't a, a leading scorer or anything like that, he always just he just seemed to make like five or six plays every game that made you say like, "Wow!" Just from hustling, you know, picking up a loose ball yeah. or taking it away from somebody or just those, those kinds of things that that you look at the stat line and oh, he didn't do anything, but if you watch the game, you know he had a big impact. He's just fun to watch. Right, absolutely. Well, you know, that's part of the fun is watching the energy guys, you know, and he was just, it's also fun when you're energy guy. I always thought, I thought he was taller than 6'9", yeah, I always figured he was 6'10", you know, but 
610 energy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that's not the typical, not the typical energy guy. So who are your your main scorers this this year? So Syracuse is led by sophomore Quincy Garrier uh, out of Montreal. And he's a guy that struggled last year as a freshman. And this year, you know, he leads the team in points and rebounds. So he's just under 17 points a game and just under 10 boards a game. Um, He's shown an ability to score and make some three-pointers, which last year he was just terrible at. I think he might have made one all season. Um, but he's really been the guy that Syracuse has been able to rely on game in and game out um, to, to be able to be effective and efficient. Um, Syracuse has put up a lot of points this year, and you know, I mentioned Alan Griffin. He's the second leading scorer on the team, but he's been more of a volume. Same with Buddy Beheim. as You guys remember Buddy from last mm-hmm. year. Um, oh, yeah. You know, those two guys get points, but they're not always efficient. Garrier is a guy who's been able to score without getting a lot of shots. He's Syracuse's one guy who gets on the offensive glass. Um, and so he's been able to get to the foul line. And I think if the Orange are going to get back in NCAA tournament discussion or in the tournament, they've got to focus him and feed him, you know, especially as they, they move forward against tougher competition. Okay. So Garrier and Alan Griffin, I, I was, you know, I watched the game uh, yesterday against Virginia Tech, and I, you know, I was really impressed by Alan Griffin. I, I actually thought they were better when he was on the floor instead of Gerard. So Griffin's been a polarizing figure. He he struggled in the zone, um, and, and the Syracuse defense, the zone defense, has not been as good this year, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But Jim Beheim's called out Griffin specifically. He, he pretty much benched him earlier in the week against Miami. I think mm-hmm. he played 16 minutes. And he's been one of those guys that he kind of, if his shot's not falling, I don't think he's brought the energy. Um, what he has been able to do is rebound really well. Uh, yesterday against Virginia Tech, he had seven block shots. Um, so he's not a big guy, but he's a pretty good rebounder. He's got a nose for the ball. I think he inherited that from his father, Adrian Griffin, who was – you know, uh, one of those mm. guys that did the dirty work back in the day at Seton Hall. And, right. Um, right. So, you know, Griffin is, uh, you know, he's actually been one of Syracuse's best three-point shooters. So he's got a good shot. He's just not a good ball handler. You know, he turns the ball over about three times a game. Mm-hmm. And so Griffin and Gary are going to be the interesting matchup against Virginia because they're the guys that are going to have to make plays for Syracuse. And the question is, can they do so without turning it over? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's, that's one of the drawbacks of this Syracuse team is that, you know, protecting the ball, handling the ball um, could be a challenge. Um, you know, one guy that, that you fans might not be aware of is freshman Kadari Richmond, who comes off the bench for Syracuse and he's a New York city point guard. I think he's six, five, six, six, really mm-hmm. long and athletic. The zone has been dramatically different when he's in the game up top. You know, okay, so he plays up top. Game. I was wondering who plays on the back line yeah. with, with Dolajai and Garrier. Griffin's the guy that plays in the back, and he's usually on the same side as Buddy Beheim, and that's the side that offenses tend to attack. Okay. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be the interesting um, piece with these two teams is that both teams are going to pull their centers away from the basket on offense. Mm-hmm. and um, Syracuse has struggled when teams have been able to get the ball in the high post. Um, yeah. You know, 
Beheim and Joe Girard aren't the most athletic backcourt. Girard's only 6'1". Uh, teams have been able to screen those two guys, and they've been able to get penetration. And once the ball gets into the top of the lane, um, it's really given Syracuse problems. Uh, the rotations have been off. Teams have gotten a lot of good looks, especially from the three-point line. And against a Virginia team that shoots the ball really well, um, that's going to be a concern for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Well, so what jumped out at me... What jumped out at me and looking at Ken Palm's stat page for Syracuse is Kadari Richmond, 5.2 steal percentage. Yeah. Which is insanely high. That's 10th in all of Division One, And, you know, we've got a freshman player, Reese Beekman, who has a 4.2 steal percentage, which is the highest of any Virginia player since Ken Palm started tracking this. So to be up at 5.2, that's just phenomenal. That is a real threat. He is, there's, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not he should take over from Gerard as the starting point guard. Um, mm-hmm. Richmond is not a good outside shooter, and there was a stretch where teams basically played him like Rajon Rondo, and if he was outside the paint, they backed off and dared him to take a shot. Um, he's very good at getting into the lane and either setting up others or getting to the foul line, but mm-hmm. on defense, his length and athleticism, he's very disruptive. He, Teams have been trying to, like I mentioned, you know, get the ball to the high post, and he's very good at cutting off those entry passes. And I don't think teams have been prepared for his size and length up at the top of the zone. Right. You had a and guy like that a few years ago who was really disruptive at the top of the zone, like 2015 like, or something like that. We've had a few. Mike Benajay was, you know, that – that, yeah. that 2015-16 team, Benajay mm-hmm. played up top of the zone with Trevor Cooney. Yeah. And both of those guys were, were, were very much like that. Um, and when Richmond's in the game with Bayheim, that gives you two guys that are 6'5", 6'6", mm-hmm. up at the top of the zone. and just makes things a little bit different for teams. Um, and Richmond's able to you know cover a little bit more ground than when Bayheim and Gerard are together. So it'll be interesting to see how Syracuse tries to you know, approach when they played Virginia in the past, they've struggled um, in the last couple of years with uh, keeping Clark out of the lane. That opener last season, um, mm-hmm. I think he had a triple double, you know, and he just controlled the entire game um, with his ability to, to get into the lane on offense and disrupt on defense. And how the Syracuse backcourt handles him, I'll be curious to see if Beheim trusts the freshman um, against such an experienced player like Clark. Um, you know, in a big road game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm looking at, at the stats, and Joe Girard, a 6'1 guy on that zone, you know, he's shooting 35% from three and 33% from two. It seems like he's got to do better than that if, if, if he's going to be worth what you give up with him on defense. Yes, he does, and I think, you know, there have been a couple times this year when Richmond have gotten more minutes than Gerard. Um, I think Beheim trusts Gerard. He's he's a gamer. You know, he's mm-hmm. probably the one one guy in the Syracuse team that really you can tell hates to lose, and he's not afraid of taking some tough shots. Um, right. You know, he's got uh, he's an unconscious shooter in terms of he thinks any time over half court he's in his range. Um, sometimes that gets him into trouble though because he is apt to pull up and launch from 28, 30 feet early in the shot clock. Um, 
but he's looked pretty good with Richmond and, and off the ball coming off screens. And I think that's a, okay. that's an interesting piece. Um, you know, Gerard in ACC and, you know, it's limited ACC time at six games, but he's back over 40% from three. Okay. Looks a little bit more comfortable. Um, it's harder to tell because everybody on Syracuse padded their stats against Boston college in December. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they really haven't, yeah, I guess half of the games would be what you call against good teams and, and good defenses. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Gerard you get. Um, when he doesn't force things and his feet are set, he is a good shooter. Um, he's really good at the foul line. Um, but like you mentioned, he struggles, which is really surprising when he gets into the lane. You know, he's really going to turn into a distributor and not try and get shots up. And some of that's his size, but he just doesn't finish well at the rim. Yeah, I think a lot of it's the size. You know, Kihei had, had a huge problem with that his first two years, and he would get in trouble when he got into the lane because just the size. But, you know, this year he's gotten much better. And I think Gerard, you know, he's still a sophomore, so he, he's got to right. learn that too, what to do when you get into paint against defense. Um, yeah, he gets himself too deep, I think. Right. Um, you know, the difference between him and Buddy Beheim is Buddy will – get to that foul line area and pull mm-hmm. up and take the jumper. Right. And Gerard a lot of times tries to get all the way to the basket. And I think some of that, you know, he he was a 40-point game scorer in right. high school. Um, but he was able to get to the rim against teams that were playing 6'3 and 6'4 centers. You know, and so he right. was able to get to the basket and get fouled. And, and in the ACC, you, you know, he's going to get – he gets swallowed up. Um, you know, if he can just – be patient and, and come off those screens and get himself to the foul line and, and, and take those jump shots. I think, you know, he'll become more effective. And like you said, that'll probably come with a little bit more experience. Yeah. His turnover rate's pretty high, 20, 20%. It, it, does he get a lot of those when he gets in the lane? Yes. Yes. He, yeah, that's, he, that's um, Kihei also. So many of his turnovers, he'd get into the lane and those big guys would, would take away his options and, and he would just make poor decisions to, you know, throwing the ball anywhere. And uh, right. we saw and a little bit Gerard, of that yesterday. So so. You mentioned polarizing ball players, and I wanted to ask you about Buddy Beheim. Um, yep. The three friends I have on my Facebook feed, you know, are all, you know, irate still that you know Beheim starts for his father, and they hate the guy. And I've always been kind of impressed. I always thought he was the, you know, the son who, you know, earned his job. What's after all this time? What is the sense of, you know, the Syracuse fan base? Are they just ready to see Bayheim right off in the sun, or what's his legacy going to be? It's a very mixed bag. Um, there are people who obviously feel like he can do no, no wrong. Um, and then there are others who feel like he's been very hesitant to evolve to the modern game, um, which I think is probably, you know, standard for a lot of coaches of his experience. Um, starting his son and playing him so much and running the offense through him, I think, you know, really has some people, you know, questioning, you know, whether or not uh, he's doing it just because it's his son or because he thinks that's the, the best way for the team to win. The zone has become polarizing. Uh, this year it's been, largely ineffective Syracuse has missed two big chunks of time practice time due to COVID pauses. Sure, and yeah. because, you know, you have a, a 
inferior zone with ineffective defenders that you constantly play that, I think it just exasperates people who are kind of like, all right, if you can't practice, you don't really have a center, you know, maybe you need to press a little mm-hmm. bit. Maybe you need to play a little man-to-man. You just can't sit in zone for 40 minutes. And, you know, the, the Pitt and North Carolina games, I think, were evident that, you know, they gave up 67 points in the second half to Pitt last week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pitt's done done well this year, but it was just, they just dissected it. And, you know, Syracuse didn't do anything and different. And so I think that's, you know, that has a lot of people here kind of like, you know, it's been six years since Syracuse has finished the season ranked in the top 25. Uh, the 2016 Final Four run, I think, masked a lot of the the growing concerns, you know, uh, mm-hmm. had, and, you know, with sanctions and some other things, I think there were some legitimate reasons why Syracuse started to struggle in, in, in the move to the ACC. But, you know, we've been in the conference for a while now. Last year was only the second game that they've won in the ACC tournament. You know, this is a little different from Syracuse fans who are used to the, you know, 80s and 90s in the Big East where they were competing for titles and, right. you know, looking at top four seeds in the in the tournament, not playing in the play-in game and, you know, or, you know, being on the bubble constantly year in and year out. So um, the, ACC the, is so the assumption is he'll, yeah, the assumption is he'll stay till Buddy is done. Um, you know, and with the extra year, that's three more seasons. So there's a lot of talk of who's next, you know, and what happens. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, be careful what you wish for, because, you know, it's not likely that the replacement will be as successful. And, and so I think this is a this is a very challenging period for Syracuse basketball. It, they have a five-star recruit coming next year. Um, Benny Williams is down at IMG. They had a commitment from Dior Johnson. Uh, for the class of 22, which um, both sides apparently backed out of. I think Johnson's probably NBA-bound. But um, those are the types of things that Syracuse needs to do a little bit more of, I think. Uh, you know, Gary was a nice under-the-radar find, but he's the only – him and Richmond are the only guys that I think were top 100 high school players on this roster, which is a far cry from some of the Syracuse teams. And so, Obviously, you know, they haven't been a a team loaded with McDonald's All-Americans, but they have had majority of classes where, you know, two or three top 100 players. And and so this is different, you know, and Beheim, Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard were AAU teammates and neither guy was a, a big recruit. They both had good offers, but I think, you know, those were guys that were looked at as, you know, bench players or complimentary players that, at places like uh, Duke or, you know, Gonzaga. Looks like you guys might have dodged a bullet with Mike Hopkins. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mike Hopkins fan, so I give him a little bit of uh, uh, extra benefit of the doubt. Um, I know that they struggled a lot this year, and last year's team sort of fell apart, but he, he was a, a incredible recruiter. When he was with Syracuse, mm-hmm. he was kind of good cop to Beheim's bad cop. Yeah, that's um, that's the problem. A lot of times, the guy has a hard time making a transition from good cop to bad cop, and a head coach has got to be bad cop a lot. Yes, and you know, to be honest with you, though, I would I would still consider him when Beheim leaves. Um, you know, I don't know what his status will be at Washington then. If He'll he'd probably ever come be available. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, if this goes the way it has, he probably I'm looking will. at an awful lot of pink the last couple of years on the uh, Ken Palm 
schedule yeah. results. Yeah, yeah, they they fell apart when Quade Green became ineligible last year, and this year I don't know what. You know, he had two first round picks, so I think mm-hmm. that's the part I look at is you know he was able to get two guys that were first round NBA picks. He's proven he can get talent. Um, you know, could he succeed? Beheim, whoever comes in after Beheim is going to have a really tough task. Um, I don't think he's afraid of that. And I think he has a lot of support from Syracuse basketball family. Is um, he still committed to the zone, to that zone? Um, he plays it in Washington, but yeah. I, he plays it a little bit differently. Um, you know, he's also a little bit more of a, a guy that um, has the East Coast ties, I think, still with a lot of the high school programs. Um, I'm not sure if he's been able to establish the recruiting out west that he thought he might be able to do um as easily you know i think you know the there's three assistant coaches they're all alums people here talk about adrian autry and jerry mcnamara as the two other guys to replace Bayheim. neither one of them has been a head coach anywhere so you know it's going to be an interesting transition whenever it happens you know when you have someone who's coaching for more than 50 years though there is that continuity aspect that I think, you know, the Syracuse AD is going to have to factor into any decision. You have a lot of alumni who played here who are going to be very vocal when it comes time for a replacement, and they're going to be into a lot of different camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to be that AD. So um, That's why they get the big bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, bring it, I'm going to bring it back to this game with the segue about the zone and, and – you talked about a lot of people think he hasn't adapted to the modern game and, and there are some issues with the zone. And I, I cannot think of a worse team this year to have to be committed to that 2-3 zone against than Virginia. Um, so is there any yeah. – is there a – how much let's, – let's first ask, you know, how much do you know about Virginia's team this year? I haven't watched a lot this year of them um but you know looking at the numbers and anytime you see a team that's over 50 percent field goal percentage at this point in the year as a team you're like okay that's going to be a problem for a zone team i mean of the guys that play consistently the worst shooter is i think uh 42 percent right mm-hmm. and that's the that's your three-point specialist that's uh, i can't i'll put your name Wolten. well the 10 side yeah yeah well, the Tensai, and he's a 40% guy from three. So, you know, he's probably only taking three-pointers for the majority of time. And so when you've got guys that – when you have a team that's going to throw out lineups where all five guys can make shots, um, that's a concern against the zone. Yeah, is there, is, is there one Virginia player that you would consider the biggest threat or the most important for Syracuse to deal with? I think, you know, obviously the matchup, the Hauser-Huff versus Garrier, and, and whether it's and probably Dolajai, um, whoever can win those battles, I think, will help, would be key for the team. Because if Dolajai gets in foul trouble, Syracuse goes to a, a seven-foot center, Jesse Edwards, who's a sophomore, who has a decent offensive game, and he's a big body, but he's not very quick. Um, he's not the ball handler Dolajai is. And he's a guy that if Huff's pulling him away from the basket, it's going to make things really difficult for Syracuse. Um, so I think those two guys are key. And I mentioned Clark earlier. Um, despite the numbers, I think 
you know, people might say, well, he's not the threat to score, but you know, he could he could dominate the game from the point guard position. And so if he's able to lock down, whether it's Gerard or Richmond, and get into the lane to make plays, I think that's the guy um, that Syracuse needs to figure out. The other guys are going to get their points, but it seems like the way when Clark goes, that's how Virginia goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I just wanted to get your take on that. And Yeah. What, let's maybe get to the prognosis, prognosis, excuse me, yeah. for the game it, t- tonight. It, people listening to this, it's going to be Monday morning, that it's Sunday afternoon that we're recording. So okay. um, what do you see as the prognosis for Syracuse in tonight's game? And what do you have to do to be able to win the game? I think Syracuse can, can keep it close because they've got guys that can make shots. What they've got to do is they've got to rebound when Virginia misses, and they've got to try and force some turnovers to get into transition. And so if they can rebound any Virginia misses and push the ball and get open looks either from three or get the ball to Garrier on the move before Virginia can set up their defense, I think that's how they've got to win this game. If, you know, Virginia doesn't seem to be an incredibly strong rebounding team um, like some of the other Syracuse's face, so if they can avoid getting beat on the offensive glass like they have been, but they've got to, they can't have it. They've got to create, you know, extra possessions. You know, every possession is valuable against a team that's going to control the pace like Virginia does. And Syracuse has to be patient, you know. So that, to me, um, I think Virginia has enough to win the game. I'm not sure that Syracuse, this Syracuse group, is good enough defensively um, you know, to force Virginia to, to miss those shots. But if they're going to have a chance to pull off the upset win, they've got to rebound or find a way to create some turnovers and get out before Virginia gets the defense set. Okay. All right, great. So what's your prognosis, Seattle? I'll be honest. I would be very surprised if it's a close game. I just think this Syracuse, they're – you know, it's having trouble with the defense already, and I think Virginia is the absolute worst team you could play that Syracuse could play right now because, you know, I've watched every one of the Virginia-Syracuse games, and there's always – I think the second game last year was a bit of an exception, an anomaly, and, and this is a totally different team than that, than that one was. And you, there's a period where Virginia has to figure out the tweak that Beheim has made to the zone, and they'll struggle, and they kind of look confused, and then they're going to figure it out, and once they figure it out, they pretty much just dissect that zone like, clinically. And this might be the best shooting team that, that Tony's had. It, the only one that comes close is the 2018-19 team, and we saw what happened in the second half of that game. Uh, I, I kind of see the same kind of thing progressing. And, you know, after watching Georgia Tech come in and shoot the way they shot, and they played their offense – played exactly the way, Kevin, you just said Syracuse has to do to have a chance to win, and they looked like they were going to win the game. I was absolutely convinced they were going to run us out of the gym the way they did Clemson, and then all of a sudden Virginia just put the brakes on, and George and the, the wreck, you know, the offense just fell apart in the last 10 minutes. So I think, I think Virginia's defense is going to be good enough to not let Syracuse have that kind of success that way, and I just don't think um, 
with shoot it with Sam Hauser finding a stroke and Trey Murphy's a 50% three-point shooter and Jay Huff is a 44% three-point shooter and Casey Morcell has found his shot and you know there's just so much shooting and guys who can pass the ball it, you know once you figure out the trick to to his own to unlocking his own it's it's kind of hopeless and you know, Beheim's not going to go man-to-man. He's not going to go to a 1-3-1 and, and switch defenses up like like Passner will and some other coaches that that can give Bennett teams trouble. Um, I'll be very surprised if it's a close game. For me, the, the big issue will be how well Virginia, their, you know, off-ball movement uh, when they're on offense. Um, there were – it took us five, ten minutes the first half to – even I think have any sort of movement uh, against, you know, Georgia tech when they were playing the one, three, one zone. Um, mm-hmm. I think going up against Syracuse, I mean, Hauser Murphy uh, are still figuring out where they move, how they rotate. Uh, well, I'm more worried you know, about the defense than the offense. I mean, that... uh, okay. Well, I, I, our offense looks stagnant starting off and, you know, it's, we've seen it before. You know, you just started to pass along. Nobody was the, the moves, the cuts. Nobody was running with authority, and it's harder to move through. You know, a two-three zone. I think even then, you know, that one-three-one that they were throwing up. So, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to how well we're moving um, off-ball, especially in the first half. You know, and, and hope we figure out how we're going to move because, again, this team has enough shooters that. You know, on our night, we shouldn't be troubled by a 2-3 zone. But, you know, that's on paper. (laughs) Someone has to go out and actually make those shots. And, you know, Trey Murphy, for instance, did not yesterday, you know, and and Sam Hauser did. So, again, that's the beauty of having lots of shooters. Yeah, Virginia is an interesting team with the shooting because it is a very good shooting team but has had some really poor shooting nights. Like before Clemson – Virginia was down at the bottom of the ACC in three-point shooting because we just hadn't been shooting the ball well in conference games. And then Clemson and Georgia Tech the last two games, we've you know, shot it really well. So, um, But the defense has been prone to some massive breakdowns and until the last 10 minutes of yesterday's game, Saturday's game, Georgia Tech was – Man, that Georgia Tech, that's the best Georgia Tech team I've seen in years. It, those guys, I have high expectations for for them the rest of the way. They looked – that was the best offense, again, for 30 minutes. That was the best offense that I have seen this year outside of Gonzaga. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, Usher hitting, you know, his first three – threes and you know that makes them that much more dangerous i mean we we knew that you know devoe and and alvarado are quality you know experienced guards and you throw out a long rangy wing like usher kind of exploding then yeah that that, that's that's quite a collection so yeah kevin i see how georgia tech is their second to last game that's gonna be a challenge yeah they're it is. They're a team that uh, Syracuse split with last year, but they caught him once without Alvarado. Um, uh-huh. I think he makes a huge difference with that team. Um, I thought they would be better coming into the season. Um, they struggled off to the start, but maybe that was just with everything going on and they're kind of finding their groove. But, yeah, they're one of those teams that definitely uh, 
you got to watch out for. Yeah. All right. Oh yeah, I mean, I was laughing and losing them to Georgia Southern and and Mercer, but you know, those are those are scrimmage games, and to some degree, <laughs> the games don't count. You know, I so, wasn't laughing yeah. halfway through the second half yesterday. I tell you that much. Man. No, I wasn't either. Man, I wasn't either. So. Yeah. They went up by eleven. It just and it, the game just turned on a dime. But all yeah. right, Kevin, thanks for you know coming on. It's always a pleasure. Um, yeah, appreciate it, guys, and uh, let's hope for a good game tonight. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> I always want a good game, right? Yeah. So let's hope t- the two teams play the best that they can, and nobody gets hurt, and and it's absolutely a good time all around. All right, thank you, Kevin. Yep. Thank you, Kevin. Right, thanks, guys. Yep. Take care. All right. So uh, you know we're playing playing tonight. Uh, what's the game time, Seattle? Seven o'clock, right? Seven o'clock Eastern is yep. uh, our game time against Syracuse. Okay, yeah. And uh, and we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be there in, in heart and soul. So uh, yeah, we'll call on the tonight. All right, everybody. Wah wah wah. Wah wah.